0: Hello and welcome to Touching Success, a podcast about special education from just about every angle that I can possibly find. My name is Joy and I'm here with my two parrots. I have Sterling the African Grey and Jojo the African Grey. So if you hear a lot of racket that gets going behind me, that's them. I'll try to keep them under control, but no guarantees. Today I want to talk about learning disabilities again. There is so much to learning disabilities that I think that no one can really do full justice of it unless perhaps you're taking a class from somebody who is an expert in it for a full semester. I'm glad that I have and I still feel like I don't know enough. Let's talk about what learning disabilities are not. Specifically, I'm going to focus on dyslexia today. There are a lot of other disabilities and hopefully I'll be able to give them justice when I'm covering them. But when it comes to learning disabilities, I've spent the most amount of my time learning about dyslexia and different ways to intervene for the child. Right now I'm not going to really talk about ways to intervene. Right now I just want to talk about the different aspects of how people see dyslexia, what it is and what it is not. I'm going to start with what it is not. A lot of people have a lot of different misconceptions of dyslexia and some are good because it does help get the kid tested when they need to be, but some are not so good because it's not what the child needs. So one of the primary things you're going to hear people say is, oh, my child is reversing their letters. Well, there's two things behind that. One of those things is that if it's within the first two years of learning to write, then them reversing their letters, that's okay. That's normal. It's perfectly normal. However, if you get to within three, four, five years, and they're still reversing, now you're looking at something that's going on. But it doesn't mean it's dyslexia. It does mean dysgraphia, So, another one of those tricky words. Dys tends to be the not working right, it's broken, and then graphia like graphics. So they're reversing what they're seeing or they're reversing it trying to get it onto paper. So that's dysgraphia and a lot if not most children with dyslexia do have dysgraphia, but it's not 100% certain. It's not necessarily A trait to worry about for that. However, I would still get the child tested. Another myth is that all kids with dyslexia have ADD or ADHD, which is attention deficit disorder or attention deficit hyperactive disorder, which are two things that, again, a lot of kids with dyslexia do have, but it is not a guarantee that they have it. Do not assume if your child has been diagnosed with those two things or one of those two things, your child automatically has dyslexia. I've seen and I've worked with kids who don't have dyslexia, but do have a diagnosis of attention deficit disorder. Another sort of myth and I dislike this one the most is that kids who have dyslexia have low intelligence that many are not very bright. The the reason they can't read very well is just because they're not quote-unquote smart. That's a myth. A lot of people with dyslexia are extremely bright, are very gifted, and sometimes gifted in many areas in ways that people without dyslexia are not gifted. So we like our kids who have dyslexia to fill in the holes that those of us who don't have it can't do. It actually also shows how bright they are if we're not catching them until third, fourth, fifth grade. It means they're smart and intelligent enough to figure out how to manipulate the system to not be caught. Again, the reason why I think all kids should be tested kindergarten, first grade level to make sure with a very simple test to see if they show any symptoms at all of having dyslexia. Another myth I've just run into once or twice, which seems kind of silly, is that Some people think that having dyslexia is contagious. I don't know why they think that. It's not like there's any data to even begin to back that up, but it is there. And so just to keep an eye out for it, if you have kids with dyslexia in your classroom and family members who might feel a little bit off-putting of having their kids near this child with dyslexia. Another myth is only a few people have it. Only a few kids, only one in 100, one in 200 have it. It's actually not true at all. It's actually about give or take one in five children, one in five adults, have dyslexia. The thing is, is it comes in kind of five stages and stages one and two are fairly light and those are the kids who usually get away through all of school, without having any kind of accommodation or testing to check that they have it. And then you have the kids that are level five, which are the kids who just seem to have such a big struggle. It almost seems like they'll never learn to read. Another one that's really interesting is that people think that children who have dyslexia are, I've heard letter blind, I've heard blind, I've heard visual impairment, can't see the letters, they need the... Uh, overlay of different colors on top, which is an, an entire different disorder. So it's just kind of an interesting thing that people would think that, and so much so that I know of a student who was sent to a school for the blind to test him to see why his eyes were not working right, when in fact he didn't have any problems at all with his vision. He had problems with severe dyslexia. So again, What dyslexia is not, it's not reversing letters, it's not necessarily ADHD, it's not low intelligence, it's not contagious, people who have it are not blind or letter blind. I hope that all of that information blows the stereotypes out of the water and that you will share that with people who have children or know of children who have dyslexia and believe all these kind of awkward things. All right. So let's talk about what dyslexia is primarily. Somebody who has dyslexia, we'll go with somebody who's very extremely dyslexic. They have a difficult time pulling apart or blending sounds together. They, they don't hear the individual sounds inside of words. And I've worked with kids with dyslexia and this is very true. An example would be dog. You go to somebody who has dyslexia that's severe And you say, how many sounds are in dog? And oftentimes I would just get one, one sound dog. And I would break it apart for them, d, a, g, and dog. And they still could not appreciate that dog is actually three sounds. So then with this other person who had it severely, I tried cat. k at, how many sounds do you hear? Cat. And again, one, and he was so surprised when I said, no, there's three. And I had to keep going uh, back and forth kind of with showing him how cat was made up of three different sounds. And those are three, those are just two simple words. What if you get a sound or a word that's like sand, and it's very long and sort of has that drowned out blended A and N together. They don't hear that either. They don't hear the four sounds inside of it. So how are you supposed to sound out things to spell them if you can't even hear the differences in the letters? And so then there's also sort of the reverse, which is blending those sounds together if you give it to them individually. So for example, the word cup, you give them the sounds k, uh, p, and then say, hey, what are that sounds? What, are that, what does that make for a word? And a lot of times they can't tell you. Same with t, a, c, tag. You know, they can't. It's just part of the disorder. And it would go the same for, like, any word you give them. Pants, and the more letters, the crazier it is trying to help them understand that there's multiple sounds inside of one word. Another thing you'll see, and this is easy to check with most kids, kids from really little can get the test that goes with this, is clapping out syllables or syllabication. Example baseball. How many syllables do you hear in that? How many times can you clap to that sound? Well, two. How about catnip? Two. How about spaghetti? That's got lots of sounds in it. So that must have lots of syllables. And that's not true. It's three. These are symptoms to look for with kids who might have dyslexia. And you can start picking those up from the time that they're in kindergarten or before even. Another thing you'll see is rhyming. How do they rhyme? Can they, can you give them a word like cat? And can they give you back hat, sat, pat, mat? And if they can't, eh, raises sort of a red flag. And so you could try, okay, I'm going to give you a word, three words, and I want you to tell me which two rhyme. So sand, ham, hand. Which of those three words rhyme together? And then maybe mug, tug, tux. And you can even kind of exaggerate the sounds there at the end, because rhyming is always the last sounds are the same. And can they put that together or dog, log, fog, stuck? That's a huge thing as well that you can catch early on, because kids start playing with rhyming words When they are in late, um, sorry, late preschool to early kindergarten, it's a, it's a developmental step and kids who are struggling with dyslexia, they can't go through that developmental step. It's just too hard for them. And I mentioned earlier about how dyslexia has five levels. So your ones and twos, they're the light level of dyslexia. They're often not caught in school they kind of know something's up because they have a harder time spelling words and maybe even looking words up in the dictionary is difficult for them. But those kids manage to kind of fake it well enough and do okay in school. And nowadays with computers and spell check, they can do even better because they can often recognize the word that's being spelled, how it looks. And so spell check, they can pick out which word. Again, my computers are awesome for our kids with disabilities. Your twos and threes kind of overlap. They tend to get caught in a lot of ways. They get extra attention in their work, reading and spelling and writing, but not necessarily the right kind of attention to fully overcome or to intervene against the dyslexic symptoms. And they get the fours and the fives. And these guys, they're, they're the more severe ones, especially your fives. Fives you'll be showing them two words at a time and they can't even pick out the two words. And I've seen this. I've, I've worked with a child who, um, came to me to learn to read better and they thought maybe large print would help. So I was doing these large print, uh, spelling cards with simple words, cat, dog, hat, mat, things like that. And he couldn't recognize one word for another. And I literally got down. So I only had two cards that I was showing him one and then the other and then the other. He couldn't recognize them and he couldn't spell them and he couldn't read them. I mean, this kid was so severe with dyslexia that I almost hoped that we could convince the family to take him to somebody really super trained in dealing with kids who had learning disabilities because this is the most severe that I saw. Usually the kids I worked with were like mm, level 3 maybe a 4 and the 4s again they're a little bit harder but the interventions a little bit easier if you know what you're doing. The other kids that kind of get caught are those kids that don't have your classic symptoms that people think they should have the ADHD the dysgraphia, things like that, they, the people will see that they're struggling with reading or sometimes even with the kids that are more severe. And you'll hear things like, ah, oh, she'll catch up. She's just a little confused right now. Or he's just a letter blind. That'll go away. And that is not true. You do not outgrow dyslexia. So if you think you have dyslexia, you have not and you will not outgrow it. You may find good ways of compensating for it. But you won't ever get rid of it. However, you can get intervention through a variety of methods to try to help you out if you really want it, but it would help you write better It'll help you read faster. So it's something I would recommend if you really do struggle with spelling and reading. And speaking on getting caught as an adult, What's really super important is that with children, we do intervene as young as we can. If you catch them in your kindergarten years or the first grade years and you do a really good effective intervention with those children, it could be that the dyslexia is only a minor issue for them. Maybe the more severe kids will need a longer amount of support time to get them to that point. But I do believe that with the right program, these kids can go on to leave a productive and happy life and not really struggle too much with a skill that is absolutely necessary to get places in this country. So again, it's one in five kids. That means if you have a class of 30 kids, you got six in there that probably have some level of dyslexia, which is why it's really important to test these kids And you can do it in about 10 minutes. There's a couple tests online. They're totally free and it's really easy to implement. The kids don't mind it. They think it's kind of fun unless they really struggle with it. Then they might actually give up and walk away from you. Then if you find these kids that have dyslexia, you can refer them to further testing either through the school district, depending on how that works out in your district, or you can refer them on to specialists outside of a school district that also does testing. Now those specialists will most likely charge you some money, but you can find some really good ones through online services. There's one in particular that I go through and that I like, but I don't want to be advertising one form of a reading intervention over another. I will say that in general, I believe that an Orton Gillingham method is going to be your best bet. I've had the most luck with it. I've had luck with it with kids that nobody else was able to make it work. So I know it does work. And here's another crazy thing about dyslexia. If a child has it, at least one of the parents has it. And it can be so mild that neither one of you notice it, but it doesn't matter. You still have it. And you yourself might benefit from getting yourself some help with learning to read or spell better. And Then you can also help your child. So I think it's a good deal all the way around. But yeah, one of the kids' parents is going to have dyslexia. So you might want to go through the list of symptoms and see for yourself, oh, yeah, I dealt with those problems too. You might be that person who has the dyslexia that you passed on to your child. And it's not an evil or a bad thing you passed on, it's just part of the way the genetics are made up. And luckily, thanks to Orton and Gillingham, there are a variety of methods based on their work that work efficiently. And you yourself can get help with that. It's up to you. It's entirely up to you. But I've seen somebody who would not work with me on helping improve. And this person was a level five. And I kept saying, if you're willing to meet with me twice a week, I can get you up and spelling better. I can get you reading faster. All those things that he would complain about that he couldn't do very well, I could have intervened. But he chooses not to, and that's a choice. But I hope you choose to go find somebody. There are lots of people outside of school districts that work with everybody from kindergartens to whatever age they site is comfortable for them to work with. I know for myself, if someone wants to get assistance with their dyslexia with my training, I have no problems working with any age group that wants to come my way. All right, admittedly, that was a short plug for Touching Success and hopefully getting more uh, students to work in my program. Okay, so now, what are the consequences when we don't catch dyslexia at an early age or even at all? There's quite a few and I'm just going to name some of them. They tend to drop out of school earlier than their peers and can you blame them? By the time you get to high school, there's so much reading and writing and researching and all the kind of work you expect kids to be learning and here's a kid who just is struggling to put the word dog together and cat together and faking it doesn't happen anymore because the teachers are expecting really high quality work. And think about the self esteem issues that go with that and the self worth. You're spending all this time and you're trying so hard to do the work and to keep up with your peers and to get praised and instead you're turning in work as hard as you can do, but then you get it back and it's all zeros and underlined in red and try harder and check your spelling. And maybe you are checking your spelling, but as far as you're concerned, it looks right. I mean, how do you know if you can't hear the sounds inside of the words? So think about that. That's a big deal. That is a huge deal. And then low employment. If you're not reading very well, people aren't gonna be hiring you very well. I mean, even just creating a resume is going to be very difficult for you. So we gotta get in there and catch these kids before they get to this age. And then the other thing, probably starting third grade, maybe, maybe about that. They start getting teased. They get called the dumb kid and other words that I won't repeat here, but they get ragged on by their peers as as having all these problems. Well, again, that's going to hit their self-esteem. And after a while, they just shut down. They're not even learning anymore. They just shut down and sit there. I have to be here. It's torture, totally torture and I can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to sit here and daydream. And maybe that's why some kids you catch drawing all the time. I'm not sure on that one. And a lot of these kids, they just give up on things. They give up on things, and other things in reading and writing really, really easily, or they have a behavior issue to try to hide what's going on with them. And I have had a student who she got so frustrated one time she threw what she had in her hand at me. Not acceptable behavior, but once I put all the pieces together that was going on that she was really dealing with dyslexia and she was tired of feeling like she failed everything, then I realized, oh, I need to intervene with this and start working with her. And it was difficult because she was so used to failing. She didn't trust me that she could do what I was presenting to her. And we admittedly didn't get very far in the program, but I do think we got far enough into it that her spelling at least became readable. You know, it's very phonetic, but it was readable. And as when she got to me before she would put consonants all together and no vowels. She wasn't hearing the vowel in the middle of the word, especially get that L and the R. We call them the tricky letters because they mess the vowel sounds up. So what are the consequences when we do catch it, especially when we catch it early because we're doing the right thing and checking all of the kids, all the kids in the classroom as they come into the classroom, grab two of them early from recess if you can, test them, send them back to recess. That's how fast that it can go. I mean, given you're just looking at a broad picture of the symptoms, but you'll catch some of the more severe kids that way. And if you'd waited for a while into the school year, you might go, oh my gosh, that's why this child never spells a single word correctly. And then now you know what you can do. And it's awesome. Okay, so what about the kids that do get caught and they get caught early on, gets intervention in there? Well, they pretty much grew up the same as their peers. And that's what we want. Now, some of the kids with the more severe version of it, they're going to take longer in intervention time. And, you know, that's okay. But we definitely want to keep a closer eye on those kids as they go through school and make sure they're getting support and dealing with self-esteem and being teased and all the things that cause our kids to drop out of school early because we want to keep them. And there are so many accommodations you can do with these kids, you know, like books on tape They're with good memory. There are positives for our students who have dyslexia. Like spatial. They understand a spatial sense of the world and can do things that way that a lot of us can't do. Like I know one person who can literally... Uh, draw something that he sees as if he's seeing it from the opposite side of the object. Not many people can do that. Some, but not many. And there's other positives as well. Very creative imaginations. Very creative. And hopefully once they get going with their spelling and their reading and writing and stuff, them, you can start seeing it in their stories that they write for class. Artistic. I'm told a lot of kids who have dyslexia are very artistic. I mean, our kids have so many strengths to them. It's just that we need to draw them out and we're not going to draw them out if we ignore the possibility that six kids in a class of 30, five of them are going to have some level of dyslexia and we want to catch these kids and we want to just intervene and get going with them, and just make sure that they can be so successful, something that can be intervened on and we can have success with. So let's step up, and let's intervene with our students, and get them going. Well, as you can see, I have a bit of passion towards trying to catch kids with disabilities so that we can intervene with them. I do realize that I spent quite a bit of time promoting the Orton-Gillingham method, and I shouldn't say there are other methods you can look at. I just happen to particularly feel that that one has a lot of research that shows how successful it is, but there are other programs I have not been exposed to. So anyway, go check those out too. Don't just rely on one person's word. Research what is there. And anyway... So that's it for today. I will keep researching and looking into how I can show and talk about learning disabilities, and hopefully we'll be able to present you with more information in the future. Good night, good day, good afternoon, whichever one applies to you, and I will see you next time.